Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. My guest today is someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time, and I finally managed to get her on the phone a couple weeks ago, and it turned out to be one of my favorite conversations I've had so far on the podcast. Alex Johnson is my guest today. Alex, or AJ, is a two-time World Cup gold medalist and has been climbing at a professional level for over a decade. In 2008, Alex became the first American to win a bouldering World Cup on U.S. soil. She won a second one in 2010 in Switzerland, and today she is still the only American to have won a World Cup gold medal overseas. She also has an impressive outdoor tick list with boulders up to V13, and she is currently working on a goal to climb 100 V10s in her lifetime. I misspoke in the interview and said it was 100 V10s or harder, but she's actually already done that. The goal is 100 V10s, and as of today, I'm recording this on December 6th, she has completed 85, so 15 to go. And at the rate she is going, I am sure she will have no problem reaching her goal. She also climbed her first 14A this year, and we talked about that and did a deep dive into her training in part two. So be sure to tune in for the second part of our conversation next week. Before we get into today's episode, I have a couple of quick housekeeping items. First, I want to give a massive shout out and thank you to everyone who participated in the t-shirt giveaway earlier this week. You guys donated over $1,000 to some really amazing organizations, which is truly awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing that, and I'll be getting your shirts in the mail this week. I still have a couple shirts left. If you want to learn more, you can find an episode titled T-Shirt Giveaway in your podcast feed. It's about four minutes long and explains everything. The second order of business, Alex is partnered with a really cool company that I just learned about called Athletic Brewing. They make non-alcoholic craft beer, and it's incredible. I tried two different kinds, their Golden Ale and their IPA, and they are truly two of my favorite beers I've ever tried. And I've tried a lot of beer. (laughs) They're really good. (laughs) Athletic Brewing makes non-alcoholic beer for athletes who want to enjoy the experience and taste of beer without compromising their recovery. Alex decided to give up alcohol in 2018 when she was training to qualify for the Olympics. We talk about that in part two. And for the past year or so, she has been drinking athletic brewing beers. I bring them up because they are offering you guys 25% off your first order. You can shop their beers and learn more about them at athleticbrewing.com and use the promo code NUGGET25, that's in all caps, at checkout. I'll link to the promo code in the show notes. They also sell digital gift cards, which seems like it could be a perfect Christmas gift for that hard-charging, beer-drinking athlete in your life. Again, I went and bought some and tried two of their different beers after my conversation with AJ, and they're both awesome. I definitely plan to buy more very soon, probably with this promo code. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Again, it was one of my favorites ever on the podcast, and a big thank you to Alex for being so open and for sharing so many great insights. I appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for sticking with me. Please enjoy this fun and engaging conversation with Alex Johnson. 
Well, Alex, I've been following, I've been paying closer attention to your Instagram the last couple of weeks because I knew that we were going to be doing this. Mm -hmm. I would love to ask <laughs> you about Mr. Golden Sunny. Mr. Golden Sun is <laughs> one of my favorite topics of discussion. So I'm really glad we asked. <laughs> Nailed it. Do you have any specific questions about him or? Uh, who is Mr. Golden Sunny? Or is it Sun or Sunny? Um, his full name is Mr. Golden Sun. That's his, like, you know, like racehorses, they always have, like, you know, an official. It's, his name is Sonny, but his official racehorse name is Mr. Golden Sun. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is the only man in my life. Mm. Technically, he's our fourth adopted dog he's he's a rescue chihuahua okay actually we just learned recently that he is only 86 percent chihuahua and 14 percent shih tzu which kind of blew oh. our minds a little bit like yeah. fully i've seen photos of of sunny and that's shocking yeah totally because of shih tzu you think like oh long long hair yeah touching the ground with bows you know <laughs> i don't know if there's like a worse looking dog out there to be honest <laughs> <laughs> we knew there was like something else in him. We thought like maybe Boston or Pug or something, and it turns out it's Shih Tzu. We got his DNA done. Okay. He's like the most entertaining thing in our lives for sure, especially with all the like the last year of COVID, working from home, training from home, <laughs> like not doing much. Like it's this dog, man. He's funny. What, um, what is? Can you describe something funny that he's done in the last <laughs> few days? Uh, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> Let's go with this morning. How he learned this morning. Um, he didn't sleep with us. My okay. mom is visiting, and so usually he sleeps with us. And then last night he was like, uh, "I'm gonna sleep with my grandma." Peace. And so we like was like, "All right, fine." So we locked him out. And at six in the morning, he came and like scratched at the door to tell me that he had to go to the bathroom. So I got up and I let him out. And then I like came up to go back to bed and he never came back up and i was like what weird and so then i got up at like 7 or seven thirty, and i found him he like burrows on like under the covers and into into blankets and stuff and he's like not a small dog he's not he's not like obese <laughs> i mean he's small in size but not his like the vet is like yeah he could lose a pound or two and when you're only 16 pounds that's like <laughs> one of the body weight which should be pretty significant healthy I don't know, weight just like burrows into these places that i can't believe he fits and so i came down and i found him like under one of his dog beds in another one like he got there was like a pile of dog beds because mm. i have 15 of them just just in case anyone wanted to lay anywhere there would always be a dog bed right where they want <laughs> <laughs> and he had gotten himself like under one to lay on the other and just his paws were sticking out and so i was like where did he go and then i was like oh my god there's just his paws it was cute. <laughs> he's like the most demanding, obnoxious little thing on earth, but he's so cute that I like cannot ever say no to him. Oh, that's so funny. That's <laughs> fantastic. So the reason I know about Mr. Golden Sun is because he has his own Instagram account. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. But um, my favorite post that I've seen so far, and I'll, I'll describe it for listeners. So it was a picture from the rear of Mr. Golden Sun. Mm -hmm. 
and someone, presumably you or Bree, had attached two googly eyes to mm-hmm. his backside, positioned in such a way that they're kind of on either side of his tail, and it kind of makes it look like you're looking at a miniature elephant with his tail being the elephant's trunk. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's fantastic that's pretty much like our life what can we do oh i'm gonna glue googly eyes to my dog's butt (laughs) amazing so it's him him and fritz him and fritz and fritz is my like og she's 11 okay Um, she's in my lap actually right now okay She's tiny. She's like a tiny, ancient little dinosaur. Um, <laughs> but she's like also still super badass. Fritz was like my OG sort of travel climbing partner. Okay. Um, got her in like 2009. And we like have spent a few years living in a van together, just like sort of cruising around like the Southwest, Southeast. Like we've driven across the country like several times together. Like I drove from Bishop to like, Boone, North Carolina with her and we were just living in the van like stopping everywhere we could to climb and and some of my like favorite sins like she was my only witness oh wow <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool we've we've had like a really sweet little life and she's like a crag dog to the core like she knows not to step on the pad not to step on the rope like she'll walk around <laughs> she's pretty independent she kind of like does her own thing at the boulders and then She'll explore a little bit and wander, but she's always like, I'm always in her eyesight, even if she's not always in mine. Okay. And and then she'll just like find a spot in the sun or nestle up in some stranger's jacket and like lay down. (laughs) She's she's great. (laughs) And then there's Coda, who Bree and I adopted together in Las Vegas. So Coda and Sunny are are kind of more city dogs. Okay. (laughs) I guess if you were to describe, it's like, yeah, the city mouse and the country mouse and Fritz is like a great crag dog like she's chilling and then the other two are kind of like wreaking havoc <laughs> like running like you sit down to put your shoes on on the pad and then sunny's like in your lap and it's like uh, dude i'm i'm not sitting this isn't an invitation hmm. and they're like running around i don't know they're not the best they're not the best crag dogs they're definitely not the worst um <laughs> hopefully they're learning from fritz one day at a time I know. Compared to Fritz, I'm like, oh, I don't want to bring the babies. <laughs> but they're both, they're like two and three, so they're young, and Fritz okay. is like seasoned and weathered. Uh-huh. So, she's a good girl. You mentioned some, some standout memories uh, on that early trip. What are some of the boulders that really stand out from that early climbing trip with Fritz? Um, I think my favorite time, like, solo with her was in Yosemite. Okay. We had the van. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be saying this because I'm pretty sure dogs aren't really allowed, like in Yosemite. But <laughs> I mean, what? This is ten years like ago. A decade ago. Everyone's so. forgotten. It's fine. The statute of limitations has Perfect. worn off on that, right? Yeah. Um, so it was the van, and I had just bought like a tiny, tiny little like ten foot tow behind camper, and so Fritz and I were like road tripping in the van towing the camper and we would drop the camper wherever like drop it in Yosemite and then she and I would go out for like a full day of bouldering and I would like cruise around in the van have to make like several trips back to the van to make sure I was like safe and had enough pads and she would just like follow me around hang out lay down chill and so I think there was one day in the valley where I did like the zodiac which is it's not like a short 10 it's not a highball but it's 
it's not short. And I made a couple trips back to the van to get pads. And so there was like a little bit of fear involved. Like if I fall on this, I could get hurt. And like the only thing that could save me is this like four pound chihuahua. And she's like <laughs> running for help, you know? Um, but it was like an amazing day. Like I think I did the Zodiac, uh, the Pugilist, which is like a crimpy nine, some other like kind of crimpy low ball 10. And then another like lower nine. Like it was, it was a mega day. It was great. Oh, that's amazing. We like cruising around, like it was great conditions. Like Fritz and I just going to these areas, like to the Iwani and then the road in the Valley is a one way loop. And so it's like, Oh cool. I sent that. What else can I do? And we'd like load up in the van and like drive the one way loop again. And like, <laughs> park somewhere else. we just were like doing laps around that loop, like sending, it was great. It was so cool. <laughs> and we, I don't know if it was like the season, I think it was November or December in the Valley. And there was no one, we never saw another person all day. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Quality time with Fritz. Totally. <laughs> um, I want to ask a little bit about your current climbing. Mm-hmm. Something I saw on your Instagram story a little bit ago is you've been sharing some of your, you know, these short like training clips and things like that. And I have seen a few times that you have a whiteboard with goals written on it. I do. In your training. Is it your garage or wherever it is that you do your training? It's in the garage. Yeah. And, uh, I've seen it a few times and I managed to screenshot it <laughs> and really, uh, really take a, a close look at it. And there's a couple things that stood out to me that I'd love to ask you about. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, right. uh, there's a bunch of hard stuff on this goals board. You know, there's mm-hmm. a number of V12s, uh, some V13s, even a V14. But at the top, you have this goal that seems like a running uh a running list of V10s and I, I'm assuming mm-hmm. that's like V10 and up. So you have this, you have this goal of doing a hundred V10s. Yes. With all the other hard stuff on that list, I'm, I'd love to hear first off where you're at with that goal and, and why that goal is important to you. I think as of a couple of days ago, I'm up to 86. <laughs> Amazing. Um, it could be 84. And this isn't like, I'm not trying to do 100 V10s in a year. Okay. Because I don't think I could. It's I'm trying to do just get to 100 in my lifetime. Okay. And this was a goal that a friend of mine actually came up with. We were in Vegas, and I've been living in Vegas for a few years. And like, I was feeling a little stagnant with goals around Vegas because <clears throat> I felt like I'd kind of done what I could do without spending like a significant amount of time sat under one boulder. Mm. Um, like in full project mode. And so I was getting, I was getting kind of bored, like with the climbing in Vegas, which sounds crazy. I know, but, um, my motivation ebbs and flows. I'm like, definitely not one of those people that's like full psych all the time. Oh my God. (laughs) So I need these things to keep me sort of engaged or keep me interested. And I was going out climbing with friends and just like, I'd kind of done everything that they were trying. And so I would just sit there Mm. I wasn't climbing much and a friend of mine was like, I'm trying to do hundred V tens. Like you should try to do hundred V tens. And I was like, well, all right, sweet. And it was like an immediate sort of re-engagement. And what that has allowed me to do is climb on stuff that I never would have climbed on before. Cause it's mm. like, I was getting on like some turds. <laughs> like I was like, I've done all the cool V tens. And unless I want to hike for like an hour and a half to try, try this, like, kind of tall, hard, highball thing. I don't, it was like 
you gotta find my tens. And so I'd go out with my friends and, and do like one's called like atomic wedgie. <laughs> There's stuff on like the down climb boulders, or you're just starting back. It's like contrived low ball turds, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But some of them ended up being really cool. And I never would have gotten on them had I not had this random goal. And so I sort of added it to the other grades too. Like I was like, all right, well, I'm way closer on. I think when I started 100 V10s, I was like in the 50s or 60s. I was like, okay, long way to go. Yeah. And then with V9s, I was like probably in the 70s. And I was like, well, I'll start with trying to do 109s. And then I've sort of at like, now I want to do 100 V8s. I think I have like two left or 100 V7s. And it's, I don't know. It's, Amazing. it's something that like, keeps me engaged and keeps me climbing on stuff that I probably wouldn't normally get on or just, just keeps me climbing and getting on a ton of new stuff instead of just sort of going out and projecting. And I, I think it's of all of my goals. I think this one like epitomizes my approach to climbing the most in the sense that if I go on a trip, I would rather do a handful of tens, a handful of nines, a bunch of eights, a bunch of sevens and six, five. like I would rather do as much as I can and like as good of stuff I could find, then park it under one hard V12 or V13 and like walk away from the trip with like one hard send, Mm -hmm. but like not having really explored the rest of the area or like really seen the kind of climbing that it's had to offer. And, and I think that that has set me apart from a lot of other girls in climbing and maybe not, maybe not in like the best way. Oh, interesting. I do feel like my approach to climbing in that way has held me back. Like I probably could have climbed V13 years ago if I had had the ambition to sit and park and project, you know, but mm-hmm. anytime I've ever gone somewhere, I've been like, I want to climb everything. And then I end up leaving with like dozens of climbs, but nothing is harder than like 10, maybe 11. Got it. And then I think a lot of other approaches are like, go do the hardest thing fuck everything else (laughs) i don't know it's never been i like love climbing for climbing like it's movement flow momentum holds uniqueness not just like grade chasing yeah i'm well i'm fascinated by this because this has been kind of a theme a theme topic on the podcast lately Mm -hmm. This, this idea of doing more quality volume and getting more experience as a as a climber doing something like you know, trying to see how many V10s you can do if you're capable of climbing V13 mm-hmm. versus really committing time to something super hard that's going to challenge you in a different way. Yeah. And I think I think it's really challenging because I think there's, I think we learn so much from both of those things. And I think, you know, the the sweet sauce is probably, the sauce is probably like some balance of, of those ingredients, you know? Exactly. Um, so how are you thinking about that moving forward? Cause you've got some really hard stuff on that whiteboard and you're in the meantime, you're pursuing this goal. So I'd love to ask like, what, what is it do you think that is going to, you know, level up your climbing and how are you thinking about balancing these, these two goals as far as like ticking off really, really hard things and then continuing to chip away at this, more volume-based goal? Yeah, I think finding the balance in it is super key. And I think now that I'm older and I've like spent more time at some of my favorite areas, I think I'm I'm going to allow myself to start projecting harder okay. stuff 
while at the same time, like going out and having these fun days where I'm like climbing a turd burglar V10, but <laughs> having a good, like having a good time, you know, like, or if I go out with Bree and she's climbing something else, like, and I know that there's like a rarely climbed one star nine or 10 around the corner, then it's just like another thing to tick off on the list to a hundred. And so that's, I think they both keep me motivated in a really different way. Okay. Um, and I'm starting to become more like attuned with the process of projecting where I, I wasn't before it bothered me. Like if I couldn't do something right away, but it bothered, like if I was frustrated, like why, why can't I do this? Like mm. I should be able to do this. I should be able to do it in a day. And if I can't, then I would rather go try something else. Like, and not in a success fail sort of way, but in a, I'm wasting time kind of way. Like mm. if I'm, if I'm not able to do this, and there's so many other things out there that I could try that I could do, then I, my attention span just sort of like switches to the next thing. And I think it comes with like living in an area too, like being settled in a place and not going on trips all the time. Like that's when I think I'm going to start being able to project more. And that's sort of like what led to the hundred V 10 thing in Vegas was I was not that motivated, bored, like going through some personal stuff. And I sort sort of just to like stay fit and stay engaged. It was like, well, I could go try to climb some like heinous 12 or 13 that I would have to spend a lot of time on, or I could go out with my friends and just climb around them on stuff that would make me more fit. But, um, I think the V10 goal, like V10 is still hard. And so yeah. I'm still like, there's some that I can do in a day and some that I can do in a couple tries. And then some that I need like two or three days on. Okay. And like, you're always learning on stuff like that. Like whether it's your style and you do it quick or it's not your style and you have to go back to it. Like you take something away from it every time, hmm. or at least you try, like you try to, you know? Absolutely. But it's a way to like get out, stay motivated, stay fit, get fitter. And then the garage is like where the training comes to get smashed for <laughs> trying to go do hard stuff. Okay. As far as the hard things on that list, are you, do you kind of pick one at a time and just focus in on that thing and then have, you know, mix in some days where you're doing more volume of easier things or are you rotating between the V12s on the list? How are you approaching that? Initially it was the former. Okay. It's lately become the latter a lot due to like weather. I don't know. For me, if it's if I'm spread too thin on too many projects at once, I'll like sort of lose interest in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and then if there's like one that's on the forefront of my mind, then I sort of like obsess over it until I do it, and then I can move on to something else. Okay. Even if it is like a V10, like I went out and tried all thumbs with a few friends the other day, and didn't do it. And then for the next like couple days, I was just like sitting at home, like I sh I gotta go do it. I gotta go do it. I can't do anything else till I go do it. And then. <laughs> I was like <laughs> packed up the truck one afternoon and, and was like, Brie, I'm going climbing. And she was like, who are you going with? And I was like, myself. <laughs> she was like, what, what I, what do you mean? And I was like, I gotta go. I just have to go. I have to go and I have to do it and I'll come back. <laughs> and it's like low and like not scary. And I can carry two pads. And it was like, I just will sit here like obsessing over it until I do it. And so I have to go do it. And that's, that's sort of what's working for me right now. Hmm along with having these like other fun, like there were days in craft where I would go out and be like, I'm going to try to do hundred V points in a day and like no repeats. And so I got oh, on a wow. ton of new stuff that I'd never done. Like two, three, four, fives. 
I think the hardest thing I did that day was like maybe eight or nine, but not very many. Or you, there's like, I don't know, like stupid fun goals where you want to do like the Royal straight where it's like V1 to V10 in a day, like one (laughs) of every great V1 to V10. And Uh then there's pyramids. The Royal straight. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. And this is just like stuff like living in Vegas for like five years and having people come and want to climb all the time and sort of going back to the same zones, like tour guiding, mm-hmm. it was just something to do that kept me going. And so they're, they're like fun games, but it's, you get fit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at, yeah, totally. <laughs> and this is stuff that can be done in the gym too. Like it doesn't have to be outside, like mm. the Royal Strait or like a, the grade pyramid where you do like 10 V ones, nine V twos, 8v3s, 7v4s, 6v5s. I'm, I think I'm going in the right order. And then you all the way up to <laughs> doing 110. Uh-huh. And that's like, that would be a huge day because you're doing... Sure, yeah. 1, 5, 2, 9s, 3, 8s. Yeah. That would be a mega day in itself. And then the ultimate goal would be able to like go up and then go back down. <laughs> if you were to coach your kids through a session like that, what would be the what would be the difficulty that they'd be shooting for at the top of the pyramid? relative to their you know their peak ability Ooh, it depends it would be like their project grade okay which most of my kids like some of them in the gym were projecting like 10 11 and a lot of them were like probably v8 and so that would be like their one like i ideally it's something you haven't done and you don't want to have it on lock like it's a hard day Mm -hmm. um if you're training in the gym outside it's like i don't care Give me a turd low ball pen. <laughs> My standards have gone way down trying to get to 100. Trust me. <laughs> but in the gym, it's like you want to earn that like peak of your pyramid. Like everything kind of leading up to it can be whatever, but you really want to earn it. And so their their pinnacle would be probably like one solid V8. Cool. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. That's super interesting. There's another thing on that whiteboard that I'd love to ask you about, mm-hmm. and it really ties into one of the reasons why I was most excited to talk to you in the first place. And I'm sure you know what's coming. It, it comes back to the swarm. That's not what it says on the whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to fact check me. I believe it says uh, the fucking swarm <laughs> with a bunch of question marks after it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love like, it. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> you going to come back for that thing or what? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. So, I mean, it's it's really fascinating to me to have followed your story over the years because there's been a couple times now where you've put yourself out there in a really open, really vulnerable, and really honest way and kind of shared your process of chasing something really big for you. And failed. <laughs> and failed. And failed publicly. Mm-hmm. And um, the swarm was the first one. And there was a really beautiful short film that you made about it called The Art of Failure. Mm-hmm. And I'll share that in the show notes as well. I think, you know, people would really would really appreciate watching it. But one thing that you said in there was you really felt like you let people down, like people that were following your journey mm-hmm. and kind of rooting for you. I'm really interested in this because you ended up kind of doing it again with your bid for for the Olympics to try to qualify for the Olympics. Sure did. I'd love to hear just about your experience with like the the balance of kind of opening yourself up to vulnerability because it's so relatable. And I mean, I, I found, I find those stories, those honest stories of struggle and failure to be the most inspiring things that I come across in media. Like I find them just 
they're so honest and so human. I, I think that really inspires people in a really beautiful way. But at the same time, obviously, it puts an immense amount of pressure on you. So I'd, I'd love to hear maybe kind of how you've thought back about the process with the swarm in hindsight, and then what led you to to be so open again with trying to qualify for the Olympics? Totally. Um, I think deciding to like be public about trying the swarm was something I went back and forth with. And I think, I think a big part of it was like an aspect of storytelling. Like we come into an age like with social media and online media, like the age of online media. And, and before you used to have to like wait for a climbing magazine to come out like in print to see who had done what crazy hard like futuristic thing mm. and we were in the age of like immediacy you know like so and so sent this and then everyone just kind of moves on to the next thing like two or three days later like there's like a, a blur like explosive blurb of interest and then it's like i don't want to do this alex Mago said this like <laughs> margo sent this and it's like our attention spans have gotten shorter and so i wanted it to be I was closer to doing it when I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. And I think hmm. a lot of the added pressure like did definitely get in my head. Um, but I wanted it to be sort of like a journey and a process and a story and not just be like a flash in the pan, sort of like AJ did the swarm and then have it that I was like, I I'm here, I'm doing it. I might as well document that I'm doing it. And then it'll be sort of like a buildup and then, a pinnacle and then like fade away sort of like a, a storybook you know or how your professors in college tell you write an essay like intro body <laughs> conclusion <laughs> and so that's kind of like mm. what my approach to it was and i think it definitely like got in my head for sure like at first i felt really inspired by all the support that i had surrounding it and then eventually when time went on and i ended up being less and less close to doing it that's when i started to feel like the heaviness of the disappointment. Mm. I think the reason that I was like less and less close to doing it was because it was all I was doing. Okay. Which like back full circle to other goals and having other like hundred tens. Like if I was doing that in Bishop when I was trying to swarm, there's something like really powerful and confidence inspiring with topping something out, regardless of how hard it is. And so I was like sat under this rock climb in Bishop for three months doing like one or two moves and then just falling and falling and falling and not like I wasn't really climbing and then I wasn't topping anything out. And so my confidence was rocked. I was getting weaker because I was only doing like, the same two moves over again. And I hadn't done, like hadn't sent anything. So there was no euphoric like top out where you're like, yeah, I am a badass. Great. And so my, <laughs> <laughs> that was my first time projecting. So it was a big learning experience. Oh, okay. But, Interesting. Yeah. And that's why that all these other random goals and days, like I think are super important to me is if I were doing that in Bishop, I would have had days where I'd have gone out and tried to do, there's like the triple double where you try to do three double digit boulders in a day. And that is stuff that like keeps you motivated and not just tunnel vision stuck under the same thing, doing it repeatedly. And that's mm -hmm. like, it wore on me physically and mentally. <laughs> How do you think about that rock climb now? Um, I'm like extremely mentally intimidated by it still. I could show up like knowing that I'm the fittest and strongest I've ever been. And I think still be very timid and like tentative around it or climbing on it because it, it 
beat the shit out of me mentally. (laughs) (laughs) Way more than not qualifying for the Olympics because I don't, I don't know why I think as far as qualifying for the Olympics, all of our chances were so slim that you sort of always knew there was a chance that you wouldn't. Mm. And with the swarm, it was like, there's no, I'm not, there's no one else here to do it before me. There's no, it's not only two people ever get to do the swarm. Like mm-hmm. there was, <laughs> there wasn't as narrow of a window for success. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to do this thing. It's just a matter of time. Totally. Or gotcha. for the Olympics, it was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to qualify. I'm doing it. I think I can do this. And then you're like, nope. <laughs> that uh was not didn't do it but yeah it was still like an awesome process and like a vulnerable experience and a great learning experience but there was you sort of always knew that that could happen swarm it was like there's there's no yeah just like a not a slim of a window mm-hmm. it's really interesting to hear how you think about that storytelling aspect of it you were an english and journalism major i was that, yeah, that's so interesting. Did you kind of have that same storytelling mindset or, or framework as you approached the Olympics? Was that kind of the the thought behind that as well? Um, yeah. And I think both, like retrospectively, both of these sort of storytelling vulnerable journeys have been maybe subconscious. Like it wasn't like, I want to tell this story. It sort of just came out of having this goal and and being public with my goals, even though it is really scary and vulnerable, like it holds me accountable. Mm. And as soon as you're public with your goal, then sort of comes the story anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I also wanted to like be more vulnerable on social media because social media is such a stupid thing and a stupid place. And it's, <laughs> I go back and forth with it all the time. Like, Hmm. being vulnerable on it or just like not giving a fuck and not being vulnerable at all or just not put like never posting or posting every it's just like it's so i hate it i have a i have like a love-hate relationship with it for sure but um part of that is like wanting to give people some like something too and that's why i post my training stuff all the time and not just like look at me doing this gnarly thing it's like this is what i'm doing this is why I'm doing it, Mm. how it's beneficial. And this is how you could edit it to be like at a limit for yourself sort of. And that's, that's important to me too. Like I've always been like a coach and a teacher and I love sharing the love and the knowledge of climbing. And so for me, when it's, I post stuff like that, it's not, I'm so strong. Check this out. It's like, I'm training. This is what I'm doing. This is how you can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, That's such a generous thing to share because it really reminds people that it's an ongoing process and that most of your days are locked in your garage, grinding away and not necessarily (laughs) sending the sickest thing you've ever done. It's so easy to lose sight of that when you just, you know, see the highlight reels on social media all the time. Yeah, totally. And it was like a lot of the stuff that I was doing training for the Olympics was new to me too. And so it was exciting for me to share that stuff publicly because I was excited about it. Um, I'd start, I kind of plateaued in my training program. I'd been doing the same thing for like four or five years and wasn't really seeing any significant gains. Like I would get strong again as soon as I started it, but um, I was plateauing. And then I started working with 
Dr. Tyler Nelson at Camp for Human Performance, and mm-hmm. he does all of my like testing and training and programming now. And I'm like still peaking at 31. Oh, I'm, amazing. Yeah, totally. Um, and so that was like all really new stuff for me too. And it was exciting. And it was like, I was diving into this new world of quantifiable, like measurable training, which I'd never done before. And I was excited to share that. It was like this new avenue for me. And now I'm, I think this past March, I don't know where I'm at right now. I'm like still wary to come. I compare myself to all my old selves, you know, with like, and and even though like all of my training is quantifiable and measurable and I might be doing like the exact same weight on my weighted finger hangs as I was in March, I'm still like, God, I was stronger in March. So like (laughs) early 2020, um, like January, February, March, I think was the strongest I've ever been. And I'm like getting back to that. But it was like right after Kyra qualified for the Olympics. And so that last spot was taken. And so I'd spent a year training and climbing only inside like 2018. And then 2019 was all training and climbing inside and competing at world cups. And so then the second Kyra qualified, I was like, shit, she's all right. I'm going rock climbing. And so it took, it was like those two years of training that I took outside to rock climbing. Like I went back to Vegas and was like flashing V10. I don't, I don't know. I've never been outside climbing where I've been like that fit. And so it was, oh amazing. yeah, it was nuts. And I was like, holy shit, this, I got to do more of this. And so it was like 2018 <laughs> and 19 of like only training and climbing and then taking all that outdoors through the fall was amazing. And then I started a new program. I think it was like December or January leading up to bouldering nationals again to try to qualify to see if I was going to do world cups again. And so that on top of those two years of base fitness peaking like around bouldering nationals and then having February and March climbing outside before COVID hit was like my best, although short, my best outdoor season I think ever like I went oh wow yeah it was awesome and I don't even know what I didn't do anything like substantially hard like I didn't go climb v14 but I was like doing v11 and like a couple tries and flashing v10 and like just sending stuff that in the past I've been like no way like Trent's mom I was like it's only v10 only in Joe's Valley quotes only v10 right but I was I was like, I'll never do, if this is V10, I've never climbed V10 and I will never do this boulder. And I went out and I like <laughs> did it in a day. Like, oh, like, man. Out, amazing. You know? I was like, holy shit. And COVID hit and training. I don't know. It's been like, it's ebbed and flowed and I've tried to stay fit, but having a program and having someone to hold you accountable and write stuff for you that keeps like our bodies adapt really quickly as far as mm-hmm. training. So if you're doing the same thing over and over again, your body's going to be like boring mm. and you will plateau. And so having someone who's able to like, I'll go down and test with Tyler, like he'll rewrite my program every couple weeks or every couple months, depending on like what I'm sort of looking for. And then oh, wow. having someone who's like, all right, switch, like your body's adapting to this too much. We have to switch it up. Cause that's how I plateaued before. I was just like doing the same thing because it worked mm-hmm. in the past. I was trying to do the same thing over and over again. And my body was like, yeah, we got this. And so gotcha. you, yeah. you got to switch it up. 
much. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to circle back to some of the specific stuff you've worked with Tyler on. So people that are listening, don't fret. We will come back to, <laughs> to training. But I want to ask a couple more questions about the Olympics and kind of how you're thinking about competing now versus outdoor climbing and also some of your coaching. So I think you had gotten a silver medal in the 2015 Open Bouldering National Championships. Mm -hmm. And then you retired from competition climbing for a while and then, you know, got fired up about this Olympics thing. And you ended up getting a silver at the 2019 Open Bouldering National Championships again. Yes. Which is amazing. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Even, so yeah, I, it is. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear how you're thinking about like now that the Olympics are no longer a viable option. What space does competition climbing hold in your mind now versus focusing on outdoor climbing and all these routes on this whiteboard goal list that you have? That's interesting because you notice that there are no competition goals on that whiteboard, huh? Yeah, um, I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I've sort of been mulling over internally a lot, like within myself is sort of what, what now? And I think the conclusion that I've come to like only recently within the last few days was that I came back to competition climbing to try to qualify for the Olympics. I don't think I've ever fully a hundred percent applied myself or applied the hard work that other people put into things to the talent that I was born with until like 2018, 19. And so that was, I would have regretted not trying. And so that was like what coming back to competition was for me. Like I had nothing to lose, but I would regret not doing it. And, and I came back to comps to try to qualify for the Olympics. And now that that's not happening, um, I feel pretty confident in saying the direction that I'm going will be, almost predominantly back to outdoors. Okay. Which is like where it was before and where my heart, that's where my heart is. And I love competing. I feel like that atmosphere like takes me to this level that I don't see outside very often. Like it's, I get there sometimes, but it's like the few times I've ever flashed a V10 or like sometimes the hardest sends that I've done, like you kind of black out or I black out and it's, I don't know if it's like this insanely precise honed in focus where you're, you, uh, my brain is off and my body is just executing and it's happened outside a few times, but the, like I experience it the most in competition because you're, you're out there to perform and it's, you got five minutes. It's like do or die, you know, and outdoors, you, there's always kind of the mentality in the back of your mind that's like, well, if I fall, I can always try again, or I can always come back, or I can always, you know? And so with competing, it's mm. like now. It's now or never. Like, let's fucking go. And that sort of, like, <laughs> ignites this fire in me that kind of comes out of nowhere. And that's that's what I love about competing. But it's not where my heart is, like, mm. full-time. It's like being outside – it, nature, like dogs hang out, we're projecting, it's rock and beauty, and it's like a little more cathartic. Sure. I don't, to me, they're almost two different sports, and at this point, they seem to be branching off, like, the style of World Cup boulders versus, like, the grit of rock climbing, like, they seem to be branching off into, into being two different sports, and for me, 
I don't, I don't feel like I can excel at both mm. at the same time. Um, all the training that I could do inside four world cups would lead me to be like an amazingly strong rock climber and sending the hardest stuff I've ever sent. But then my time would have to be split. Okay. And so me climbing outside all the time and training like just brute crimp finger strength for all these projects I want to do outside does not translate to like the parkour <laughs> volume, like coordination power style of comp climbing right now. And so I, I don't feel like I can adequately do both, even though there are parts of both that like cater to the other. Um, I would have to be split and, and I think both would suffer if I didn't commit to just one, but my heart is in rock climbing. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And how does your, uh, how does your coaching and your teaching fit in at this point? It sounds like it was, it was also teaching that kind of brought you back to the sport and got you kind of reignited this fire in you. Totally. How does that fit in at this point when you're climbing? Goes along with me, like sort of being stagnant in Vegas. Like I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything really productive aside from these like fun, silly little game goals of like triple, double hundred V10s. I was just like hanging out in Vegas and I'd kind of lost myself. And so the opportunity came to move home to coach. And I said, no, several times, like I think six months, I was like, no, no, I'll never move home. No, 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 no. And then I moved home (laughs) I started this program and I hadn't really been training or climbing. And I ended up falling completely in love with all my kids (laughs) and like seeing their, passion and love and excitement for the sport and and like what i could bring to them yeah definitely yeah. reignited like the way that i felt about the sport and then climbing with them all the time and, and training with them and sort of that awesome mindset the positivity and focus and grit and like how bad they want it led me to like start training and climbing again and i got really fit and that's when i was like i feel really strong right now <laughs> Hmm. I think I would regret not trying. And that unfortunately led to coaching, taking a back seat, which was like a really hard decision for me was like, I love my kids. They're the reason I got back into competing. And now when I go pursue competing, they don't get the attention and the time and the coaching that they deserve. And that's like sort of when I made the decision to like, all or nothing has the same thing as like indoor versus outdoor, you know, like I was like, I'm coaching, I'm competing. My brain is split and my time is split. And for a long time that worked. And then eventually I was like, I have to, I either have to commit to the kids or commit to competing because I'm like half assing. They didn't deserve mm. like me to be half assed or I was like traveling a lot during their season and, and it wasn't fair to them. And so that, that decision ultimately was really hard for me and then sort of led me to, end up moving to Salt Lake mm-hmm. left them in great hands. So that was like, that's not what I was worried about at all. It was just like, I adored all of them and it was really hard for me to leave the relationships that I built with them and stuff. Hmm. So a little context for listeners. You grew up in Hudson, Wisconsin. I did. And then you were the, the head coach at a gym in Minneapolis. Yep. Is that right? Okay. The same gym that I grew up. Kyra and I both actually grew up climbing at this gym. Okay. Okay. And how long did you end up being back there? That was, that was a year or so? Two, I think it was two years. Okay. Um, and, and what about now? Are you, um, 
Do you stay in touch with, with any of your kids or do you, are you trying to do any remote coaching or teaching or is that kind of on hold for the moment? How are you thinking about that these days? I try to stay in touch with as many of them as I can. Um, they reach out or their parents will reach out or I'll reach out or be like, Hey, I was thinking about you. Like, I hope you're doing well, but with, with COVID the gyms had all closed. And so they weren't really climbing. A lot of them were getting home walls. And so we would like kind of connect that way. But our home gym in Minneapolis is like so up in the air right now. I don't even know what's going to happen with it. And so remote coaching has not really been happening. <laughs> mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah, that makes sense. We're like just like miss you guys. <laughs> yeah. Hope you're safe and healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I want to start doing like and I've had so many people out here like I'm always like I miss my kids, I miss coaching and I've had um so many people out here be like why don't you just go coach at one of the gyms here? And that is not the same to me. Like, I'm sure I would love it and fall in love with all those kids and like adore working with them and adore them. But I think that I like miss my kids, you know, it was my first team. I will always like love those kids and owe them so much, probably mm. more than they can comprehend right now. <laughs> so when people are like, why don't you just go coach at coach at one of the local gyms here? Like, that's not, I don't, I want my kids back. I want them all to come out mm. here and then I will coach them all out here. I don't want to just like, mm -hmm. go coach any random team. And I love teaching and instructing and breaking down movement and the comprehension of my own climbing that I get that comes with coaching and teaching. And so like clinics are a great way for me to achieve that without feeling like I'm cheating on my kids. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Is there anything in particular that you learned about your own climbing or that you changed as a result of your time coaching? Um, attention to detail, I would say, would be a really, really big one. Like before it was like, try really hard every time. And then, and then it got to the point where I was like, that's clearly not working. Like something is not working. And so I would start doing a ton of repetition, especially on slab or lower ankle stuff that's more balance and body awareness than just like on a 45 where you like grab and pull. And so it was, why is slab my weakness? What am I doing wrong? What are my balance points? What are my, what's the angle of my foot? Is my heel up? Is my heel down? And so it's like that sort of really precise attention to detail and also repetition. Like just because you send something like what, that shouldn't mean that the practice of it is over. And there's, there's practice, there's training, and there's performance, and all three of those things are not the same, should not be approached the same, and cannot all be done at the same time. So practice mm. is you're learning, it's technique, it's it's ball handling skills, it's like drills, it's the mundane stuff that you don't like that makes you a better soccer player. Mm. And then there's training, which is like you're doing weighted pull-ups, like you're breaking your body down, you're gaining fitness and strength which is completely separate from practice. And I, that's a big thing that I want everyone listening to take away is like those two things are separate. There's hmm. practice and there's training and they should be done. They should each be done equally and separately. If not, if not even practice more, you know, like it's easy. Okay. It's really easy to get strong. It's easy to get stronger. It's hard to get better. And I think hmm. being better is far more important than being stronger to, you know, to a, unless you're climbing like 15 or something. Yeah. 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 But so it was like, I would go 
do all the slabs in the gym, but I wouldn't just send the slab and then walk away. It's like that felt like shit and it looked like shit. And it, I was like hanging on by the skin of my teeth, clawing my way up the slab, which is not how slab is meant to be climbed. What am I doing wrong? And even if it was like, I would do the same singular move, maybe the start move up to 15 times until I had it like so dialed that that muscle memory and that movement could be locked away in my like movement quiver or my skill quiver to be accessed at another time, whether it's in a comp or outdoors. And it was, it's boring and it's mundane, but it's that sort of like precision and attention to detail during practice that I've taken away the most from my coaching. Cool. Are, are there any, I, I have two more questions, I guess, about the balance of practice versus training. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just get a sense of like what the distribution is. So when you think about like climbing in a gym or climbing outside, just time, you know, either ticking off your, your V10s or trying something hard. Is that separate from these kind of practice sessions? And then I'd love to also hear like, if you had to, you know, give a percentage of like how much time you spend in your training and climbing and practice, like what, what allotment of that is for, performance climbing what allotment is for deliberate practice and then what allotment is for your physical training Mm -hmm, definitely i think for me climbing outside is almost entirely performance because there is the objective of getting to the top and that's sort of the same as in competition like you you want to get to the top that's all performance based and so when i go to the gym if i were going to have a three-hour session a lot of my time it's a lot of people approach going to the gym as performance like get to the top send move on and maybe on your like really hardest like gnarliest sends that is the approach but for me going to the gym is practice like i'm trying to send the hardest thing i've ever sent but when i in the gym like but when i do i want to know why or i'll go Tim Campbell and I have been climbing a lot together and we have a really similar style. And I think we're at really similar, similar levels. And both of us like really enjoy breaking down movement in Hmm. ways like, why isn't this working? Why did this work for you? It's not working for me. And it's all like, it can be really obscure and specific down to like the angle of your foot on a volume or it's cool to have climbing partners like that, that do have that practice mindset in the gym, because that's what it's for. I feel like, you know, it's like a weightlifter goes to gold's gym and like pumps a bunch of iron and then they'll go to like a weightlifting contest. And that's where they perform. It's like, it's, I guess that's more along the lines of training, but I don't know. Ball skill, <laughs> trying to compare it to like other sports. But for me, going to the gym is practice. And even if I'm trying my absolute hardest, I'm going to break down why a move felt so hard or how I can make it feel easier. It's like the path of least resistance up the path of most resistance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great liner, one liner. Uh, well, let me ask you this then. If you, were, if you had a bunch of kids that you were coaching for the day and it was a practice session in the gym, mm-hmm. what are some specific drills or, or um, yeah, what are some specific kind of practice-oriented drills that you would have them do? I would definitely start out the day by telling them that they're not going to leave tired. Okay. Um, and I think that that's like a big, a big misconception with practice is like we'd have kids come to the gym and we would run them through drills and skills and, you know, ball handling 
all day and then they'd be like well can we pro- can we project or can we do a workout and it's like that's not what the day was about like today was practice mm. and it they i think a lot of them get frustrated as a lot of people do when you go to the gym and you leave and you don't feel tired you don't feel like you got like that workout in mm. but i would like preface the the session by being like you're gonna leave here and you're not gonna be tired and i don't want to hear about it <laughs> when you come in <laughs> tomorrow i will put you through a workout and you can leave tired but right now i want you to practice your like your weaknesses the stuff that you're bad at when you go to a comp and you crush every steep thing that there is and you get on the slab and you can't get off the ground that's what you're doing today because that's where you need areas of focus i don't need you to go do weighted pull-ups i need you to practice movement and body awareness and what you're bad at and so that a lot of that would be repetition like we would start out with a drill that is like perfect placements whether it's hand and feet and that sort of encourages them to slow down and take their time and a lot of people call it like the quiet feet drill but we partner them and hold them accountable and it's not it's not quiet feet because you can have a really quiet foot placement if you're trying really hard that still isn't an accurate foot placement. You're just mm. placing it quietly, which is not what we're looking for. We want it to be placed accurately based on the next move or set of moves that you're going to be doing, knowing ahead of time, like chess, if you're going to be needing to foot match or pivot on that foot. If you put your foot too far to the right on a foothold and you have to pivot into a back step, it's going to pop off. Or if you put your mm. foot on a foothold that's hogging the hogging the foot and then you need to match you you either have to do one of those little like hop skippy match things that i can't think of a better uh, there's a name for them but I, you know when you like pop your foot out and then hop your other one on really quick which is yeah, risky totally whereas if you were yeah. looking ahead and thinking a few moves ahead like you're playing chess you would know i'm gonna need to pivot that foot into a back step or i'm gonna need to match eventually and not to hog the foot so it wasn't quiet feet. It was like precision. And the same thing with hands. Like we would want them to try to hit a hold with their hand as precisely as possible without needing to adjust and adjust and adjust. Because every time you adjust, like you get a little bit more pumped. And so if you can be like way more accurate with your dead points and just like hit stick or hit and adjust and stick once, that's um way more efficient. So we would partner them and have them, their partners hold them accountable. And if their partner saw anything that was like less than precise, they would have to come down and start over, which, okay. was, which they found annoying. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure they, I'm sure it was infuriating for them. Yeah. That's great. So that was one really fun one. And then the other one would just be like slab repetition, like either in a group of three or with a partner. And it's basically projecting like you're working something, but you're not, working it to send you're working it to learn and so we would encourage them to sort of take it one move at a time and repeat that move over and over and over like i would go to the gym with my friend gabe who was also my assistant coach and on our own sessions like we would do this like we would get on a slab and do do a move drop off and be like that felt weird get back on the start do the move again and be like that felt different and then we would watch each other do it film each other doing it talk about each other doing it and then see how many one how many times in a row we could do it the same way if that was the best way that we thought we could do it and then two how many different ways we could do it and then which one was the best and the most efficient oh that's really interesting yeah i'm a nerd (laughs) yeah most climbers are (laughs) 
So this is perfect. This is really interesting. That I would have my kids do. And then that's the kind of stuff that I'll do in the gym during a practice session. It's okay. The gym for me is not performance. It's not get to the top and be done. It's practice, learn ball skills. What can I add to my movement quiver? And then if I happen to get to the top, can I do it again? Can I do it different? Can I do it better? And then comes training, which is like, like four by fours or six by twos, like on wall training. And then there's like off wall training, which is weighted hangs, fingers, pull-ups, etc. Most people know about that stuff. And will you combine practice sessions and, and training in the same day? Yep. Yeah. Okay. If I have like a long window or a long session, a lot of times with kids, it's hard because they only come for between like two and three hours per session. And like 45 minutes of that is like warming up and talking about what we're doing, et cetera. And so I would break up their practice and their training to be on separate days. But if I have like a long window, I could do like an hour or two of practice because you're not getting tired and then do like a set of six by twos. And that's like power endurance. Okay. And really, really good for comps, actually, because generally in competition, you only get, you have like a one great go, maybe at best, if you're falling in the middle or at the top, you have three or four goes, unless it's like a, a run and jump start and you have to put like 15 attempts into it or something. But generally mm. you get like one to three good goes per boulder. And so six by twos is like, I would pick six different boulder problems in the gym at like, Maybe my like hard flash levels. So for me, it was like sometimes seven, sometimes eight, occasionally nine. Okay. And I would set the timer for two minutes and I had at most two minutes to do it, but I would try to do it with minimal rest. So I would do the boulder, come down and it, it's basically, you just like chalk up and get back on like a four by four. Okay. And the second go was always really hard and you had to like dig deep and find that fight and the grit and not just give up in that second go. And even if you're just like throwing for the lip, like hundred percent effort all the time. And so that was great power endurance. And then it would be like a two or three minute rest. And then I would go do the other five boulder problems. And so that's like, it's not competition headspace, but it's competition fitness. Okay. So you're, you're giving yourself two minutes for each boulder mm-hmm. to give like two really good quality tries mm-hmm. that are just all out effort. Yes. Okay. And then, Interesting. I guess along the lines of like training and practice, we, myself personally, I would go through mock comp days. And then with the kids, we would go through mock comp days, which is like entirely different. That's like headspace practice. And so that's performance basically, or performance practice. Okay. Um, <laughs> we would only do that once a month. Okay. Really. Interesting. Yeah. What does a typical week look like for you these days? You live in Salt Lake City. You're able to get out and try real projects on real rock quite often. What is the breakdown of getting outside climbing versus indoor practice versus indoor climbing training versus, you know, training with fingerboards and weights and stuff? Like, how does all that stuff kind of divide out for you? Up until really recently, I was climbing outside a lot, like four or five days a week. Okay. Wow. And that was sort of like taking taking precedence because it that was my performance. And then I would come home from a day of climbing and practice or train. And then there's also days where I'll like devote it to training. Like I'm not climbing outside today. I'm only training. But um, a lot of times, like with your climbing outside, if you're trying to send your project, 
you're trying the same few moves over and over again, you're not really getting wrecked. So you can kind of come home and still do like a workout or a session, or you just go outside freeze and you don't really get any climbing in. And then you come home and do a workout or a session. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I have like a couple days out of the week designated for specifically training. And this is sort of all in the garage lately because of all the COVID stuff. But for the last few months, I've, I've basically only been like outside or in the garage. Okay. And the garage is like, where the grit <laughs> happens and I've kind of always been like a lone wolf trainer and I totally understand and appreciate that there is value in training with other people and having people push you and soaking up like the energy, but like training is vulnerable for me. Um, okay. And I, I prefer to do it when, like if I'm having a session or climbing with other people, like that's awesome. And it's, it's fun. But when I'm training, my mentality with training is I there's I have several mantras, I guess, but my mentality is like always with intention and it's hmm. all or nothing. Like I'm I'm trying a hundred percent or there's no point trying at all. Like if I'm gonna slack, then the session's like fucked. Because then I'm not making the gains that I'm looking for. Like it's a waste of my own time to not try a hundred percent every time. Hmm. And so the whole theme of like me training is intention. And so I'm like in the garage, like screaming and swearing and like groaning and but breathe like in the house or in the kitchen. She'll like pop her head out and be like, are you okay? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just (laughs) suffering. (laughs) I'm trying really hard. It's like, go away. Don't watch me. The same thing. Like I, if I like am sick or ill or have the flu or something, like I, I lock myself in the bathroom and I'll throw up alone. I don't want anyone to see me throwing up. I don't want anyone to see me training. Like Brielle will just pop hmm. her head in and be like, you okay? Do you need anything? And I'm just like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, like I'm screaming in the garage. She's like, are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, TRX. Go back inside. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that is sort of like what my garage days look like. Like I'm out, I can be outside trying and that's vulnerable in a different way because like everyone around you is trying hard too. And, but in the garage, it's like, it's specific and it's vulnerable and you don't want people to see you looking weak. And so when I'm mm. doing PRX core, I am looking weak and I don't want anyone to watch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um i can relate to that by the way i'm very similar i, lo- I vastly prefer training alone and i love climbing with other people like climbing yeah. social and that's one of the aspects of bouldering that i love the most but i don't yeah, like yeah. training with i prefer to train alone just because it's like so raw for me so i think a lot of people are relegated to home walls right now and are kind of isolated in their climbing do you have any guidance or tips or pointers that you would give people for as it relates to like practice sessions on a home wall when you just have one angle and a fixed set of holds and and you're by yourself and that sort of thing anything that comes to mind yeah um the two things that i do the most on my home wall i have two i have one at a 20 degree and one at a 40 degree okay and i guess the workouts that i cycle through the most during covid have been like circuits so i'll get on the 20 degree and and i'll 
it sort of varies on like my project. So if I know that the hard section of my project on a rope is like 16 moves. And so I, I'll get on circuit wall and try to do like 16 max effort moves kind of in a similar, like laid out in a similar way or similar movement pattern to the project that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So it relates back to it. Um, that's one thing. And then you can do six by twos on your home wall too. So it's six, six of like your hardest boulder problems repeat times two, the workout that I described earlier. And then another one that I do the most often that I find to be the most relevant for like bouldering and peaking and leading up to training is max effort moves. And so this isn't like full boulder problems for me. Like I'll go on the board and light up like a V10, even though like, I know I can't do it, but it has moves on it that will make me try my absolute hardest. Like it's limit movement whether i'm doing like one move like sticking one heinous move or doing two maybe three in a row if you're doing more than three then it's not your limit um Mm. like you're aiming for like one two maybe three limit moves in a row and that trains not just like your physical capabilities but it trains your brain to try hard um Sometimes we go out or we go to training and it's the quote is like, you have to try hard to try hard. Like it's hard to get (laughs) in the mindset of like, don't let go max effort every time. That's a really hard mentality to try to be engaged in all the time. And that's something that I find that limit moves helps me with is you're fighting to stay on the wall. You have to try hard to try hard. And that sounds silly. No, that that makes perfect sense. So that's your that's your practice. That's your focused area of practice right now is yep. trying hard. Yeah, because then when I go out bouldering, if I'm like working on a project, then I I'm practicing that movement while I'm projecting it. Like not every effort is from the ground. I'm able to get on in the middle or try the top and and repeat those moves over and over again. And I'm learning the movement of the project that way. But as far as like practice in the garage right now, it's like effort max effort practice. Okay. Cool. Thank you for all that. That's incredibly interesting. I do hope we have time to come back to some more of your training stuff. I've got some more questions with that, but I'd love to shift gears for for a minute here because there's another thing that I was really excited to talk to you about. You want to talk about Sunny again, don't you? (laughs) All these other Instagram posts of of Mr. Golden (laughs) Sun that are just so captivating. I have to share them with the world. (laughs) So in, in prep for this and actually... A while back, I think it was earlier this spring, um, I just reread this article in prep, but I remember reading an article that Gnarly Nutrition wrote featuring you, and it was talking about you coming out publicly. So in, in the summer of 2018, you came out publicly as LGBTQ. And it sounds like, you know, as far as your friends and family were concerned, you had been out for for many years, and, and that was a comfortable part of yourself that you had leaned into and accepted, but you you didn't put it out publicly into the world until 2018. And uh, it sounds like that stemmed from an interaction that you had with one of your kids. And um, we don't have to name any names here, obviously, but if you're open to it, if you're willing, I'd, I'd love to hear maybe that story and what it was that led to that decision to come out publicly. Yeah, totally. Um, I... I love telling this story because it was sort of like an aha moment for me where I I realized that while my, like, I guess life, my personal life was personal, um, 
I did feel sort of like a, eventually, <laughs> I uh, rebelled against it at first, but I definitely ended up feeling a duty to be like, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I guess going back, like Brie and I started dating and in her Instagram bio was the quote, be who you needed when you were younger. And that oh, sort wow. of like really resonated with me immediately because I think I'd always been looking for someone like me in sports or in our sport. And like me growing up, there was like Ellen DeGeneres and maybe Abby Wambach on the women's U S soccer team. And those are the only two like sort of strong gay female icons that I could think of growing up to look up to. And I, I didn't really have that. And I grew up in the Midwest and it's all very like sheltered and closed minded. And we're in a totally different age here where I think kids are still, they're encouraged more to be themselves and everyone seems to be way more accepting for the most part. Um, but like Brie and I moved to Minnesota and I was doing a private lesson with one of the kids on my team and she was like having an off day and just not feeling it. And I was like, what's up? Like, what's, what's going on? You know, like just, we don't have to train or climb just what's up. She was like, I don't know. I'm having like a really bad time at school. And I was like, what? what? I, in my mind, I was like, no way. Like, this kid is so awesome and so smart and so mature beyond her years. Like, how how could this be happening? And I was like, really? Like, what? Like, you don't like math or something? Like, I, I couldn't <laughs> comprehend it. And then she was like, no, like, I'm, I get bullied a lot. And I'm, I'm just having a really hard time. Like, I hate school. And I was like, you get bullied for what? Being smarter than everyone? Like, being cooler than everyone? <laughs> She was like, no, I get bullied for liking girls. And I was like, oh. Like in my head, I was like, really? It's 2018 or whatever. And then immediately, as soon as she said that, she was like, well, you're not homophobic, are you? And that was sort of like my like aha epiphany where I was like, okay, I, I'm failing. Like these hmm. kids and like other people in our community or other people in sport or other people even not in sport who are just looking for someone like them. And like, I have this platform and I've like accomplished so many things. Like how great would it be to showcase that you can accomplish these things and be different? You know, like it was, I just had this moment of like, right. No, I'm what I'm failing. And so I went home and I made this post and it was like wildly positive and I've gotten like hundreds of messages since in the last few years that was like, just thank you so much for like being you and being out. Like, and I, I recently did an article with like in partnership with athlete ally, which is an organization that I work with and their whole goal is to like combat and eliminate homophobia and transphobia in sports. And so we did this article together and it, I came to learn that 80% of LGBT youth athletes are not out to their coaches or their teammates yet, just because still oh, wow. like so much like bullying on the field or like slurs, even unintentional and just like fear about coming out. Like it's still so scary and such a, you're like turning your world upside down basically. And it's like taking who you are, who you've been to everyone your entire life. And like, you're essentially afraid you're going to alter their perspective of you which shouldn't be the case at all. But it was really eye-opening to me, one, that one of my athletes was like, are you homophobic? And then I was like, no, I'm, no, and I'm failing. 
And then on the other hand, it was learning that 80% of youth, youth athletes aren't out to their coaches, which is like so sad. And I just want to be like, that's shocking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I know that there are like other climbers in the LGBTQ community and like people who came before me and people who have like done the work paved the way before I even knew I was in the community. And it's like, they're like, I've never want to go around being like, I'm the, I'm the first I'm, I don't even really like doing these <laughs> interviews that focus like so much more on that, but it is such a prominent piece of discussion and a prominent thing for me to feel like I can be someone for these kids and these other people. Hmm. I don't know if that made sense. I got a little rambly, but it's, <laughs> it did. Like it, I don't Thank you so much. Ever for... be seen as like a marketing. It's not marketing. Like, me pushing it or promoting it at all is never for personal benefit or for marketing or for gain. It's because I didn't have this when I was younger and it fucking sucks. Hmm. So if I can be someone that anyone finds, regardless of sport, if they're in climbing, if they're not in climbing, if they're in any sport, just someone that they can see who's like out and successful and happy that they can look to, that's all I want. And that's the reason that I feel like I say yes to doing any like interview or article that has to focus on like LGBTQ stuff. <laughs> I hate labels. I would, I wouldn't talk about it at all if I didn't feel like I had to, like I like who I like and I love who I love. And I don't think that there should be like a stigma around even the phrase coming out pisses me off because it's like, that. this is why should we have to come out? Like it, it, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like if yeah. you're not going around coming out as a climber, like I'm a climber. It's like, okay, I don't, nobody, <laughs> nobody cares. So it's like, I don't know why you have to come out being like, I'm LGBT. It's, it should just be like, okay, nobody cares. Like you are who you are. And there's, I don't like the labels and I hate the boxes, but <laughs> now I'm getting negative. No, no, it's, it, I mean, it really is. I'm trying to be that person that I didn't have when I was younger. Even totally. I think all of it is silly. It really speaks to your character. I mean, I've, I was actually about to bring that up because I've read, uh, I mean, I have a little quote from you here that says, I'm not a loud and proud person. I'm private and quiet. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you choose to put yourself out there in the spotlight anyway, because it is so important to you to, you know, give these kids a role model, the type of role model that you didn't have. I mean, that really speaks to your character and it's incredibly generous and, um, and beautiful. So totally like it is super vulnerable. It's not something that I like, like posting about or, like at the forefront of like my brand or whatever it's just hmm. it's like a small aspect of me like i'm also funny and i have three chihuahuas and like there's all <laughs> my favorite color is black like there's all these other things that are i feel like on the same level of importance as like who i love but <laughs> um i feel like i always feel empowered when i do talk about it but hmm. a lot of the times like it isn't for me hmm it's just to like show that I'm here, I guess, for these people, for anyone. That uh, that article that anyway. you referenced. <laughs> I have some. I have a couple more questions with this. So that first, that article that you mentioned with Athlete Ally, mm -hmm. was that the one in Grip Magazine? Yes, it was. Okay, I'll share to that. I'll uh, link to that in the show notes for people. What was the quote from from Brie that resonated with you? Um, be the person that you you wish you'd you'd had in your life, or something. What what was that again? Be who you needed when you were younger. Be who you needed when you were younger. I love that. 
Me too. I'd love to ask, what do you think you would say to yourself if you could go back and, and talk to yourself at the same age that, that this girl was when you had this conversation with her? Man, I have no idea because I don't think there's any way that younger me would have listened anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like if I went back to my like middle school and high and like I was bullied in middle school like savagely because I was like obviously different and not out and like but like probably people were like, Yeah, that girl's fucking gay. <laughs> but it's like the Midwest, you know, and so no no one's out. And so I was like bullied savagely in middle school and a little bit into high school Hmm. to the point of like silence like I would not speak in school and if I was called on I just was like completely different like a silent silent dark quiet like non-existent version of myself Hmm. and I think the me like if I met younger me younger me would be like I don't I literally don't even know you why are you talking to me get like get out of my face (laughs) I I wonder though. I have to wonder what year younger you would have thought reading that Instagram post that you shared when you came out. You know, I I imagine that younger you would have drawn a lot of inspiration from that, even if there was no face to face interaction. I would hope so, but I think it like still goes. Even a decade ago, there were like so few. I don't know. We're like in a totally different era, and I think I was so afraid then to be who I was and to be who I was, where I was like growing up in the Midwest and it's like sheltered and conservative. And it's like, I was already such a black sheep being like a climber Hmm. that I didn't want to like draw any more attention to myself because I was already being bullied for being different Hmm. that. And there were just so few people like it was Ellen and it was you kids are mean dude kids are so so mean and it now like we have sue bird and megan rapino and like ashton harris and ali krieger and gus kenworthy was also like actually a huge part of my like accepting myself and like Hmm. coming out like he we had all these like prominent superstar out athletes like a few of them and it wasn't until gus kenworthy came out like he was the first one that i could actually relate to who is he for listeners that aren't familiar with him uh, on the u.s ski team okay he's a a free skier um and he came out like right after the sochi olympics or right before the sochi olympics i think it was like 2014 maybe when i was living in vegas and i was like not i there was no part of me that was even considering like publicly coming out Hmm. and then Alyssa Roenick wrote his ESPN article and I had met her during my time when I was on the North Face team. She came along with a couple other like journalists from the media and like talked to us. And so seeing him on the cover of ESPN and knowing that Alyssa wrote the article was really cool to me because it, it was like one degree of separation. Hmm. And then it was also someone in the outdoor industry sort of like at the pinnacle of their career basically in the article he was like i was always holding part of myself back and my performance was suffering and so the second that i was able to fully become or fully be myself like my performance like blossomed oh wow that really resonated to me because that was something that i sort of always felt too like when you're always hiding a part of yourself you're never you're always holding back 
and you're never really able to be like fully vulnerable or fully raw. And so therefore you never can really reach your full potential. And so when he was like, I was holding them, like, I didn't even know that I was holding myself back. And that's sort of like how I felt too, where it was like you, this, you get this baby off your back, you know, or this monkey off your back. Like I had no idea that I was like holding part of myself back until I was able to fully be who I was all the time. And then my performance, I feel like was, has increased it's only increased <laughs> it's it seems like it and this is why i was so excited to talk to you it seems like you <laughs> you put yourself out there into the world and really opened up and it seems like you've just been thriving ever since i would agree <laughs> that's, that's amazing <laughs> i love that i mean that was that's the you know the perception that i picked up from the outside and that's i'm so happy to hear that that's how you feel as well it's awesome. And that like having that experience, like I can only hope for that for anyone who does like stumble across my page. Hmm. Who's like looking for anything like that. Like what I saw in Gus Kenworthy and there, like there's, there was Abby Wambach and Ellen DeGeneres, but they were so far removed from me and so much older hmm. than me and already so successful that by the time like Gus Kenworthy's article came out, I, we were similar age, like similar places in our career. We had friends in like, friends in common because he's oh, wow. on the USC team and there were like USC team athletes on the North face team that I knew. And so there, it, we were almost, almost in the same circle. And that res that just really resonated with me. Hmm. So you've mentioned Brie several times in this interview. Who? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Brie. Um, Brie, I actually wrote down this, you sent me a, a list of questions that I don't feel like we've touched on at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, we've actually I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus. We've actually touched on all of these. Um, there, you, the question that you sent that was like, what is something that you're especially grateful for lately? I, all, the only word I wrote was Brie, whereas for the rest of them, I was like writing paragraphs and like words and keywords <laughs> and all this stuff. Like, what's something you're grateful for? Brie. This could be like a whole another 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Bree and I have been together since 2016. Mm -hmm. We met through climbing, although she was not a climber. Her mom was a climber and on this like all ladies climbing group called the Bouldering Bettys out of Sonoma, California. And they hired me to like guide them around Bishop or come like climb with them in Bishop. Okay. So that was awesome. It's this, this like group of like hilarious psyched ladies, like cruising around Bishop, like climbing B3, you know, it was, it was super funny. And then the last day of the trip, everyone got to like bring their, their families got to come. And so that's how I met Brie. This was in 2014. Okay. Um, and we'd like stayed in touch as like friends and acquaintances since. And then we were both like dating other people. And then in 2016, we sort of like reconnected Neither of us really knew the other was out. I mean, neither. She was out. She'd been out since like high school or something. And I was definitely not. And so when we like first started dating, it was it, super private, basically a secret. Hmm. And she was like, what? I don't get it. Nobody, uh, nobody cares. And I was like, no, you're from California. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't care. And other people in California don't care. I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> Nobody can know. <laughs> <laughs> and it took, like, she was like, you're tripping. Like, just 
be be who you are like you're great who cares like if and it sort of took like dating her for me to realize like it was just like someone someone like worth coming out for to like my family even like I was not out to my family until I started dating Brie and then I was like oh man she's cool I gotta <laughs> I gotta start telling my friends and family that's just more than just my BFF <laughs> oh, that's amazing <laughs> What yeah. is what is something that you have especially appreciated about Brie lately? She's like wildly supportive and extremely generous. So it's like whatever goal in life that I have, she sort of like makes sure we're set up. We're both set up in a way that like it can be achieved. Like when it was the Olympics, she was like, all right, if this is what you want to do, like let's fucking go. <laughs> and she would like wake up a little bit before me, like make, make breakfast. It's like eggs and carbs, like carbs and protein. Like we would count out my macros, like do like have a set calorie goal. She would get up and like make breakfast according to that, like pack me a lunch and like send me to the gym. Or <laughs> I was like, I'm, I have to do speed today. Will you come time me? She was like, fuck yeah. Or like, I was like, I need to go to roots. Can you blame me? And she was like, yep. And it, she, it's like, she's always been like extremely supportive and like pushed me to to be better and like be most importantly, a better version of myself. Like that, that's sort of like her number one, hmm. like climbing and training and, and that success that way could take a backseat to her, like wanting me to be like the best version of myself and like loving myself and accepting myself. And so that's also something we've been working on together. Yeah. This is, um, this is too perfect. Can I jump in? Yeah. <laughs> I actually wanted to to share something. I want to read an Instagram post that you shared, and then I have a question about it. Okay. And I think this was you posting about your four-year anniversary being with Brie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you wrote, Brie pushes me to dig deep, to find myself, to be better. She embraces everything about me, everything that I am, and who I'm becoming, even if I'm not sure who that is. She never fails to tell me how awesome I am, especially when all I do is tell myself how awesome I'm not. (laughs) She's teaching me what self-love can actually look like. And although I'm a slow learner, I have a great teacher. That was poetic. (laughs) It was. Nice job. (laughs) I'd love to ask, what is something you've learned from Brie about self-love? A lot of my climbing and train, a lot of my self-worth is put into climbing. I would say almost all of my self-worth has been like put into the the basket of climbing and success in climbing because that's like all I know. And that's sort of like where my identity is. It's like, I'm, I'm a climber. I'm good at climbing. And those are the two, I would say the two standout things about me. And so a lot of like what we've been, I guess, learning throughout our relationship is like, she thinks she's awesome regardless, like what she's doing, if she's doing a sport, if she's doing, she's like, I'm awesome. And I know I'm awesome all the time. And so for me, because so much of my self-worth is put into a sport and success in that sport when I'm not successful in it, or I'm not, even if I'm one day. It's not just like these crazy failures, like the swarm in the Olympics. It can be day to day. Like if I'm having an off day climbing because so much of my identity and my self-worth are put into climbing, that sort of like really affects and alters how I see myself. Hmm. So it's like, I'll go out and try a project and I'll fail. And so I have this like crazy spiral of 
like self-doubt and self-loathing and just like, oh, I suck. I'm, I'm not strong enough. I'm too heavy. I'm, I didn't try hard. Like all these, it's not excuses. It's just like self-shit talking, almost like total self-sabotage, which is like you had an off day. And so we've been sort of like navigating me having one off day of training or one off day of climbing, like doesn't affect the value of who I am as a person. (laughs) Something that she's like really good at reminding me, but also really over reminding me of. (laughs) She's like, I can't, you gotta. (laughs) When are you going to learn this lesson? (laughs) She's like tired of being like, no, you're, you don't suck as a human just because you had an off day. But it's like, obviously like obviously i don't suck as a human just because like i had an off day climbing but when i'm like in it because i'm so invested that's sort of like all that i can see sometimes and it's she's sort of just like building up this other side of me that like sees value and self-worth self-worth like in who i am outside of like being good at a sport Hmm. which turns out is like a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) she says <laughs> i don't know i think i'm easy <laughs> <laughs> amazing thank you so much for sharing all that yeah um i want to circle back to a couple of the the things we alluded to with your training and some of the transitions you've made in working with climbers hey friends that's it for part one I figured that was a good note to end on for now. Tune in next week for part two, or if you're listening to this in the future, you can go listen right now. We go pretty deep into her training in part two, and it was super interesting. I definitely took away some things that I'm excited to try, so you can look forward to that. Don't forget to check out Athletic Brewing, Nugget 25 at checkout for 25% off. And that's it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. As always, much love. We'll see you next time. Like we do it.